We're honored that you're here with us on this beautiful Saturday. Everybody survived the snow and the winter mix. That was it. Just saying. That was it. Um, we're glad you're with us tonight. We have such a pr the privilege tonight to have Pastor Jeff from Catalyst Church with us tonight. And before he comes, I just want to let you know the provision of God for our church. If you're new to City Life, we have been recently gifted this building. We became the owners in May. It was a miracle story, and so you're stepping into City Life at just a really unique time in our church history. And as we have been holding this gift and saying, God, help us steward this well, we needed partners. We needed kingdom-minded partners, churches to come alongside of us to enable us to do what we need to do to be able to steward this property. For this property and the vision that God's given us to share property, to have this not empty 90% of the time, but full 90% of the time, serving and building God's kingdom here in the 757. And, and God has been so faithful. There's three other churches that use this property all through the week in addition to our church. And Pastor Jeff is the pastor of Catalyst Church. They have 24-7 access here. They share this property. It is their home now. We have just been beyond honored in not just having a, a tenant church, but a true partner in God's kingdom. We continue to be surprised at the heart of serving and the heart of love and the kingdom-mindedness that Pastor Jeff and their church family, Catalyst Church, has. And so I'm excited for you to meet them. I'm excited for you to hear his heart tonight. Church, will you welcome Pastor Jeff from Catalyst? We're so glad you're here. Well, good evening. I've been practicing all week long on saying that and not saying good morning. We're the, we're the Sunday morning guys here at 311 Selden. My name is Jeff. Everybody say hi, Jeff. Well, good evening, City Life. I am absolutely honored to get to carve out some time with you, open up God's word, and hear God speak to us. And on behalf of all of us at Catalyst Church, let me just say thank you. Thank you. You guys are awesome. I mean, capital A, all the way, you guys really knock it out of the park. We, um, we are absolutely honored to be here. Uh, my wife and I have gotten to know uh, friend Vanessa a little bit over the years. I've gotten to know him a lot better as I get to walk by Vanessa's office every day. Um, and, so, and sometimes I try to take out her trash for her, you know, just to be a good neighbor. But we are absolutely honored to be here. A couple of months ago, uh, my wife and I discovered a love for axe throwing. Might be a little weird, right? But she is scary good. My wife is, so if I go missing, y'all, that's, but she is really good. So we uh, jumped out one night and went with Fred and Vanessa, had a blast, and a couple of, uh, a couple of other friends from ministry, um, axe throwing. But we have loved getting to know y'all. We've loved jumping into the Christmas Eve service with y'all. We've loved jumping into, uh, there was a, a Saturday, I think, morning. We were here pulling weeds and cutting down trees and hauling stuff out. So again, on behalf of Catalyst Church, thank you. Um, we planted Catalyst Church seven and a half years ago. And before we even planted, I think it was before we planted, I sat down with Pastor Fred, and he was such a voice of encouragement to me. And then about four years uh, later, we were in the middle of some location changes, and we weren't sure how things were going to shake out. And I sat down with Pastor Fred again, and he was just a voice of reason. I don't think there's anybody on the peninsula quite like Pastor Fred. And I know you know that way better than I do, right? Uh, they, 
there are few guys that you run into that just have the integrity with which he walks. And uh, I think that has spilled over to a lot of you. So I'm honored to be here. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to begin in verse 1. But like I mentioned, we planted Catalyst about seven and a half years ago. But it was before that, in uh, 2009, when I was getting ready to preach uh, in one of my preaching classes in seminary, that I snuck up into the uh, upper um, second floor prayer room of Binkley Chapel on Southeastern's campus. And to be honest with you, I was just scared. I was getting ready to preach into a room full of preachers who were all going to be filling out papers and judging me as I preached. That was what they were there to do. And I was just scared. So I went up there just to calm my nerves and prayed for a little bit. But when I walked into that room, I realized that there was information all over the wall. And it was information about uh, lostness in our world, how many people there are who don't know Christ. And it was in that prayer room, before I preached that message, that God really gripped my heart with just how lost North America is. And in particular, the importance and the the place of college students in that lostness and in the process of doing something about that lostness. And so it was in that prayer room that God planted a seed in my heart that would become Catalyst Church, which we launched in August of 2012. Now, since then, we've been in uh, four locations in uh, seven and a half years, and everybody loves moving, right? Uh, no, I, I, I don't either. So we've gone through that, but we started in a coffee shop that was on the other side of CNU's campus that isn't there anymore, right? It is now um, an OMG sushi and a uh, brick of firehouse subs, right? The owner told me one time, she's a Christian lady, great lady, said, Jeff, isn't it just God's humor that he would take our coffee shop and turn it into fish and loaves, right? Uh, and so we continue to just, that, there you go. That's as funny as it gets, y'all. That's it right there. Uh, I got a lot of things, but a great, great comedy routine ain't one of them. Uh, so we planted in that coffee shop, and it was a blast. I mean, we had college students sitting on the floor. We were figuring things out as we go. Seven and a half years later, we still are. We got to baptize the uh, quarterback of CNU during that time, a young man named Marcus. Great dude. He's now a um, uh, volunteer youth leader in Richmond. Uh, wasn't even a believer when he started at CNU. And so we're excited. One of the things that we used to do in the early days of Catalyst Church is we would tailgate all the home football games. And so it would be fraternity, fraternity, us, fraternity, sorority, fraternity. And, and I mean, it was as chaotic and crazy as you could, as you can imagine. We took a trailer and outfitted it to deep fry Oreos. Amen and amen, right? Uh, you want know, to see the favor of the Lord type stuff, right? And, and so we would deep fry those Oreos and give them to college students. And I was amazed, though, every time we did it. Every time we did it, I would interact with a college student who had never been to church. This, this isn't a third world country. This is seeing you. Every time I did it, we would engage with somebody and say, man, you know, I've never, I've never actually been to a church. I mean, I've known a couple of Christians, but one guy said, you know, I've, I've never even owned a Bible. Grew up in Virginia, always lived in Virginia, never owned a Bible. Now, I'm a seeing you grad. I love seeing you, best looking alumni on the planet in my humble but accurate opinion, right? Um, But man, there's a lot of work to be done. 
And so we planted Catalyst Church seven and a half years ago to reach those on and around the campus of Christopher Newport University. Again, we have seen God do some amazing things. We've had the privilege of sending out seven full-time missionaries over the past seven years of planting a church in Williamsburg. We wanna, uh, basically, we want to be like you guys when we grow up, right? In a lot of ways, man, we, we do. We're watching churches just like y'all. And one of the happiest days in the life of Catalyst Church was the day that we got to celebrate our first service in this room. One of the happiest days. I got to kind of sneak in uh, with you guys. I sat up in the balcony the night that uh, uh, Fred announced that, that um, North Riverside had voted and they were going to entrust the building to you. I was celebrating in the balcony with you. Um, one of the happiest days was when we got to celebrate um, moving into this building and you laid the foundation for that. City Life, you laid the foundation for that. And I believe... I believe it's because your pastors understand something that most people don't. In fact, I think they understand something that most pastors don't. And it's the principle of church harmony. Church harmony. So I want to talk to you this morning about building and pursuing a broader church harmony. I love the way that uh, uh, Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. He says, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place Call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. He's talking about broader church harmony. I've learned that Pastor Fred uses the language of harmony. And he says, Jeff, we, he, sometimes he'll stop me and we'll start talking and he'll say, Jeff, and that's when you know he's getting in it. Like, all right, man, I'm ready. <laughs> Come on. Uh, and he'll say, Jeff, we're not talking about sameness we're talking about harmony. We're not talking about sameness, we're talking about harmony. And I think he's absolutely right. And I think the Apostle Paul would say yes and amen. I think Paul would say, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. Fred has helped me put that language together. And I think Vanessa models that attitude and posture better than almost anybody, right? Just, yeah, let's find a way to work together. Why wouldn't we? Let's do it, right? Let's lean into this. So Paul looks at the church in Corinth and he says, you do realize you're not the only church, right? I mean, it's, it's like he says, guys, you, you, do, you realize that God really is on the move in other places. You're, his work doesn't begin and end in Corinth. And I have to remember that his work does not begin and end at Catalyst, right? And city life, we need to remember it does not begin and end with us, Right? There's a broader work of God. So Paul looks at the church and says, no, no, no. You are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek word there for all means all. Right? It's a really complicated word. It means all. All, which means some of those churches are going to do things differently than you would, and that's okay. Some of those churches are going to sing songs that you'd be like, man, can we change the radio? And that's okay. Some of those churches are going to wear clothes that you wouldn't wear, and that's okay. 
You're called to be saints together, together with all those, with, with all those in every place. That means, that means that you and I, friends, have a mutual bond in Christ with our brothers and sisters in places like North Korea who are suffering. You and I have a mutual bond with our sister in South Sudan who hid herself in a shipping container that she might escape. You and I have a mutual bond with brothers and sisters in the upper levels of the government of Hong Kong and with other believers and churches around the world. We are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We even, we even have a mutual bond with those brothers and sisters that live on the peninsula and we don't necessarily want to see them in the grocery store, right? Right? I, I go to Food Lion or Harris Teeter and I look down the aisle, right? And not just for the food. Right? Some, sometimes, sometimes this is the reality. The peninsula, you guys know this, is really big and really small. Right? I was in a restaurant uh, a few months ago, and I went to pay and gave the lady my credit card, and she took it, and she said, I thought you were a mingi. I was like, oh, no. I mean, maybe I'm, I stole that credit card. I promise. <laughs> it's not my, you know, it's small. You can't get away from it. And um, uh, 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 a former church I used to work at, Bethel Baptist Church in Yorktown, we used to say, you better never talk about anybody because they're related to somebody. <laughs> right? And there's a good chance on the peninsula they're related to the person you're talking to. So you got to be you got to be careful. We have a mutual bond in Christ with believers both far and near, even in those churches when they leave Catalyst and go there. I'm still called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are called to harmony with them. Not sameness, but harmony. We can and should be, in some ways, distinct, right? But our distinctions must not be divisive. We can and should be, in some ways, not every way, but in some ways, distinct, but not divisive. We are called, right? We are called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So, we're going to talk for just a moment about pursuing broader church harmony. And there are three ways that we can pursue broader church harmony that we're going to see in our text this evening. Three ways. They're, they're not rocket science. You don't have to have a PhD or any kind of doctoral or theological degree to understand them. There are just three ways that we're going to see that we can pursue broader church harmony. Number one, we need to see the church as Jesus saw her. See her as Jesus saw her, not how we want to see her, but as Jesus. Number two, we need to seek the church as Jesus sought her. And number three, we need to send the church as Jesus sent her. Now, if you were wondering, yes, Catalyst Church is a Southern Baptist church, and yes, that is a three-point alliterated sermon. You are welcome, <laughs> right? 
I didn't grow up Southern Baptist. I grew up United Methodist on Hoops Road in Denby, not far from here. I'm a Newport News boy, uh, born and bred, so to speak. I used to think, and I don't know where I got this thought, but I used to think that when I crossed the line into York County, they knew. Like something, some alarm went off and they were like, Newport News just came in. We know it. Now, I'm not yet convinced that such an alarm doesn't exist in Pocosin. Right? I'm still figuring Pagosin out, right? But, but this is home for me. I, I, I love Newport News. And so we are going to talk about how can we pursue in Newport News all the way to Williamsburg, all the way to Pagosin, to the ends of the earth, how can we pursue broader church harmony? Number one, we need to see the church as Jesus saw her. The theme and thrust of 1 Corinthians is corrective. Paul is correcting bad practices. He's correcting misapplied theology. Y'all, the one thing that everybody knows about the church church in Corinth is that it was messed up, which is one of the reasons I love it, right? These are my people, right? Sometimes I'm looking at the book of Corinth and I just feel so much, uh, the book of Corinthians, I just feel so much better about myself. They had messed this thing up. And so in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, let's talk about the Lord's Supper because the way they were working it out is those who were so rich they didn't have to get the job, they would show up early, drink all the wine and get drunk, eat all the bread and get full, and so all of the Lord's Supper would be gone by the time the rest of us who have to work showed up for church. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, now about the Lord's Supper, I will not commend you, right? It's corrective. This church did not have it all together. And yet, there is a particular tenderness with which the, the, the Apostle Paul speaks of this church. Listen to how Paul opens up his letter beginning in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. He's about to correct them. They had messed up a lot of things. They had broken uh, all, 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 of, all of the things they shouldn't have broken. They had, they had messed this up. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him. In all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So before Paul corrects them, look at what he sees. He sees grace. Before Paul corrects them, he sees that in every way they've been enriched in Christ. Before Paul corrects them, he says the testimony of Christ is confirmed among you. Before Paul corrects them, he says that you are not lacking in any, any gift. Before Paul corrects them, he says they are guiltless until the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Paul opens this letter. Commentator David Pryor says that we need to register this primary truth. Paul looks at the Corinthian church as it is in Christ before he looks at anything else that is true of that church. Paul looks at the church as she is in Christ before he looks at anything else that is true about her. David Pryor goes on. He says, that disciplined statement of faith is rarely made in local churches. The warts are examined, 
and lamented, but often there is no vision of what God has already done in Christ. Is that you? Are you quick to examine the warts of the local church, whether it's city life or another one? Are you quick to examine the warts and forget what God has already done in Christ? Shame on me if I sing songs like we just sang and I don't see grace in other local churches. Right? Do you see the warts but forget what God has already done in Christ? We want Jesus to saturate our view of the local church. We want to look at the local church, whether it's our local church or another local church, through the lens of what God has already done in Christ. Lenses matter. You know that, right? Lenses matter. When I was little, I used to wear glasses, and I had the thickest of thickest glasses, right? If I got a smudge on them, the world was gone. I couldn't see anything. And then in middle school, I remember getting contact lenses. And as a joke, I walked outside of the, um, the eye doctors, and I said, Mom, the grass is green? You never told me. It's green. I had no idea. And then in college, I got LASIK surgery um, on on my eyes, and I remember uh, waking up in the middle of the night and looking at the clock, and I could read the numbers. I was like, I have arrived. I can see, right? Lenses matter. Lenses either clarify or distort whatever we're looking at. They don't change what we're looking at. They just clarify it or distort it how we're seeing it. So what is the lens through which you see the local church? What is the lens through which you see the local church? Both the local church right here on the peninsula, the church that you know, your friend uh, maybe left City Life to go to, Right? What is the lens through which you view the local church? Maybe the, the, the local church out in um, uh, Suffolk, right? You guys planted in Suffolk. How do you view that lens? Pastor Fred's preaching there tonight. How do you, how do you view that church? We planted a church in Williamsburg a couple of years ago, just about a, a little over a year ago, and I have to remember that they're doing their own thing. And I have to be careful that I'm not looking at them the way I want to. I, I don't want them to become an image of me. Right? I have to be careful of the lens through which I'm looking at them. We want to see the church as she is in Christ before we see her as she is in our opinion. This is especially important in conflict. Now, I, I, I know that there's not a perfect local church. If there was, it would be city life. I get that, right? Um, but I'm just, for the rest of us, every once in a while at Catalyst, something happens and there's a little bit of conflict in the body. I know it doesn't happen here at city life, but entertain me for just a moment, right? And, and, and a couple of years ago, this happened in a particular moment where there were two guys that just couldn't get along anymore. I mean, they couldn't even really be in the room together anymore, and so I sat them down in my, in my office, and I said, got them at the table, and I said, guys, y'all were good friends. Let's, let's talk. And I looked at um, one guy, and I said, hey, um, all right, look at the guy over there. You, you think he's a Christian, right? And this guy said, yeah, I think he's a Christian. I said, okay, I was just making sure. All right, uh, and I went over here. Okay, let's look at that. You, you think he's a Christian, right? And he goes, yeah, I think he's a Christian. I said, okay, all right. 
All right, so, so you're a Christian, and you think he's a Christian, and you're a Christian, and you think he's a Christian. Now, here's my question. Are you seeing each other in Christ, or are you just seeing each other in conflict? Because when you're describing him right now, it's not the him I know. And when you're describing him right now, it's not the him I know. You see, they couldn't see each other anymore. The lenses had been smeared. We want to see the church as she is in Christ, not as she is in conflict. Not as she is, in our opinion. If we're going to pursue broader church harmony, we must see the church as Jesus saw her. Secondly, we must see, seek the church as Jesus sought her. Paul, having laid the foundation by, for which he uh, saw this church in Christ, now seeks peace in this church. Look at what he says in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul makes this appeal by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he says, it's as though Jesus himself were saying this to you. It's as though Jesus himself were saying this, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, time out. Before we look at what Paul says, we need to just ask the question, does the name of Jesus Christ bear any authority in your life tonight? We know that it should bear all authority. But the self-reflective question we need to ask, and which Paul confronts us with in this, in this passage, is does it bear any authority? When's the last time you said, no, I can't go there, I can't think that, I can't chase that, because Jesus has authority over me, and he's told me not to go there, and I won't go there. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, which means Paul is talking about peace. So that means that when I'm about to say something unchristlike towards my brother or sister in Christ, I need to stop. I need to say, time out. The Lord Jesus Christ has told me not to go there. Do you realize that when you speak evil of your brothers or sisters in Christ, you are doing the devil's work? And he doesn't need any help. We have an enemy. It is not each other. Right? So let's not make it each other. Paul is saying that we should be united, that there be no divisions. Now, he's not saying that we need to lay down our doctrinal distinctives, but that we need to reframe them. We need to see them as we are in Christ. So, do you seek the church this way? Right? Do you seek peace in the church this way? Paul calls us to seek peace in the church by seeing Christ crucified for each other, not by crucifying each other. Paul says, don't crucify each other. See Christ crucified for each other and thereby pursue that harmony, pursue that unity, pursue that, that, that unification. He says there ought to be no divisions, not no distinctions. He's not saying city life and catalysts need to do it the same every week and do, do everything the same. He's saying that your distinctions must not be divisive. But rather, we ought to be united in the same mind and the same judgment. 
Friends, if we're going to pursue broader church unity, then we must see the church as Jesus saw her. We must seek the church as Jesus sought her. And thirdly and finally, we must send the church as Jesus sent her. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And by the way, I love that y'all are doing water baptisms, right? Celebrate it. I am, I am in. I've got a connection card. We call them connection cards here in my Bible. Uh, we have got a baptism tomorrow morning, right? Yep. Young, uh, young lady named uh, Susanna, CNU student. She's a sophomore. The Lord's been doing some great things in her life. We're excited to get to celebrate that. By the way, we have had more baptisms since we moved into this building than the last 18 months combined. So we're in, right? We're, I'm totally in. Like, we're staying as long as y'all let us. Uh, we are, we are totally, uh, totally in. And here's the deal. We believe there's more to be done. We believe there's more to be done. Paul said, we've got to send the church as Jesus sent her. For Paul, for Christ did not send me, Paul says, to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul saw himself as one sent by Christ to preach the gospel, to publish it, to make it known. And this influenced the way he saw the church. All of Paul's theology was missional. All of his thoughts about God led him to pursue people who were far from God. And I would argue that if, if your theology, if your thoughts about God don't lead you to pursue people who are far from God, then you've got wrong thoughts about God. We say that good theology, that is right thinking about God, leads to good doxology, that is the right worship of God, leads to right ethics, that is living before God. And our ethics ought to be evangelistic. Our ethics ought to be missional. He's given the church the great privilege, the task of making the name of Christ known. This is why throughout the Bible we read this language of being ambassadors for Christ. We're to make him known. We're not meant to publish our own agenda. We're not meant to talk about us. We're meant to make the name of Christ known. One, one theologian used to say it this way. Life is a mission trip. Take it. Take it. It doesn't matter whether, whether you're in the church or out of the church, whether you're in Food Line or Harris Teeter or Farm Fresh, if they exist, right? I don't even think they're around anymore. Right? Life is a mission trip. Let's take it. Think about it this way. There are, by the most conservative numbers that I can come up with, over 270,000 people within about a 20-minute drive on the peninsula that do not know Jesus. 270,000 people. There are 2,200 homes within a one-mile radius of where you're sitting right now. And 2010 statistics say that 7 out of 10 of them don't know Jesus. There are 5,000 students over at CNU. And uh, you and I both know that the majority, in all likelihood, the majority of them do not know Jesus. Right across the street, there are 500 plus elementary school students that gather every weekday. And the majority of them don't know Jesus. 
I had the privilege of going back to the seminary uh, where I, I went uh, this week for an event, and I, I snuck back up into that chapel prayer room and saw it, and was just reminded of God's call on my life. And they had a TV screen going with these numbers that were constantly changing, and it showed the world population and how fast it was growing, and the numbers were just rolling, right? And then it showed a number of people who did not have adequate access to the gospel, And the number when I took the picture on Thursday morning was over 4 billion people. 4 billion people on planet earth right now who do not have sufficient access to the gospel. There are over 7,000 unreached, what we call unreached, unengaged people groups who have nobody that are trying to get the gospel to them right now. I don't know about you, but I want to change that. I want to change that. We need to send the church. Some of you may be called to a foreign mission field. And my prayer is that if, that if that's you, you would lay your yes on the table and let God put it on the map. Right? Some of you may need to open up your hands and let loved ones be called. Right? The daddy of two little boys, ages 12 and 10, we have a lot of fun these days. Now, we have a lot of other things, but we also have a lot of fun. And, and, and I think about the day that I, I'm gonna, I have to hold them with open hands, right? Because they don't belong to me. They belong to the Lord. And the church doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the Lord. And we may need to send the church into the mission field. Friends, if we're going to pursue broader church harmony... We have to see the church the way Jesus saw her. We have to see her in Christ, not as she is in our opinion. We have to seek the, the church the way Jesus sought her. And we have to send the church as Jesus sent her. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and uh, I want you to draw your attention, though, to what Paul says there at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. He says, I was sent to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. So here's my question for you. It may be, are you called to the mission field? It it, it may be, are you called to change your lens through which you're seeing the church? But my question for you now is this. Have you experienced the power of the cross? Have you experienced the power of the cross? Did you hear what Paul said earlier? That we can be guiltless in the day of Jesus Christ. Not because we get ourselves clean enough, but because Christ on the cross makes us clean. I love the way Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 5, and we sang it earlier, that he who knew no sin, Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Do you realize that Jesus didn't just die for your sin, he became your sin. Every lustful glance of the eye, every hate-filled beat of your heart, every jealous word that runs off your tongue, Jesus took it. And on the cross, he bore the wrath of God for you in your place. This is the power of the cross. Friends, you can be made new. Would you come to Christ? Would you lay down your life? Would you experience his forgiveness? Would you experience his kindness? And would you experience his commissioning? He draws, one, one theologian said that Jesus is like a cyclone. 
He draws us in and hurls us back out. He draws us in and makes us guiltless and then hurls us out into a hurting world so that they can know how that they can be made guiltless. God loves you. He's proven it. If you're ever tempted to wonder, does God love me? He's proven it. He proved it on the cross when he gave his only son for you. And he's able to do something in your life. If you're ever tempted to ask the question, is he able? Look at the empty tomb. And he says, yes. Yes, I love you. I proved it on the cross. And yes, I am able. I proved it in the empty tomb. Friends, ours is but to come to him. Let me pray for us. So, Father, we thank you for the gospel the good news that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and on the third day rose again in accordance with the scriptures. We believe it to be true. And so, God, we ask that you would help us to pursue broader church harmony. Would you help us to repent of any sins that we're holding on to? Would you help us to lay down our sins at the foot of the cross and come to you? And know that in Christ, we are made guiltless. So Jesus, we praise you as the one that was slain and the one who has risen from the grave. And we look forward to the day that we will worship you forever. We pray it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. And everybody said, amen.